0: Listener Production.
1: What do you imagine being a mum of four boys would be like?
0: It's different than I think you expect. It is so much love, so much loyalty, and for me it's been having a superhero in my back seat or holding my hand for the last 10 years.
1: Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking with one mum of four boys about everything she's learnt raising them. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Once upon a time, it was normal for families to have three-plus children. These days, if you have more than two, you'll probably get raised eyebrows and comments about how crazy it must be. But imagine if you're a mum of four boys – Jen Muir is exactly that. She's also a parenting educator at Connected Parenting, and she's here today to give us some insight on what it's like. And it's probably not what you're thinking. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> what kind of reactions do you get when people find out you have oh, four boys?
0: Look, the most common uh, statement is something along the lines of Don't you guys have a TV? Um, <laughs> oh, <come> people. <laughs> People will say, why is there four? we just trying for the girl? Um, oh, <laughs> your poor sons. <laughs> apart from the first. But I will tell you that the day it hit me the hardest, I had just had my third son. I was in a post office in Brisbane and he was in a, a little capsule and I was at the counter with my two beautiful boys that were three and five and the lady said, what, what did you have? What's in the pram? And I peeled back the cover. I said, this is Tom. And I didn't really think about the the gender in that moment. I was just so proud of my baby. And she like just fell apart with disappointment. She held my hand and said, don't worry, you're still young. It's still time. <laughs> like how disappointing. And I looked down at my two little boys that were taking in her words and I just turned back to her and went, I'm so proud to be the mum of three boys. And then I went home and I Googled someone who can help me with raising boys and found Maggie Dent literally that night because I just suddenly thought, wow, I didn't realise that this might be perceived as a negative. And I felt so sad that my boys would take in. And those comments that I do get even now, like often it will be, your house must be so busy and it must be smelly and farty. (laughs) And I don't know I I can't comment on girls I reckon they probably fart too but it's not you know, Yes they do they do It's not like that um and it's not as busy as you think there's a lot of drawing there is a lot of Lego building um the drawing isn't sort of technically beautiful it's a lot of comic making um has happened in my house and you know yeah there are fights and rumbles but I just don't think it is that different to raising any child.
1: But what an interesting response for people to have. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I hope d- when you had your
0: fourth, did you go back
1: to that post office once and
0: <laughs> ta Once you have your fourth boy, it's a different reaction. I think people get disappointed for you on the third. On the fourth, they just get down and bow like, oh my God. <laughs> 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 Whoa, hail this woman.
1: <laughs> I think that's fair. Look, four (laughs) children of any gender, I'd be doing (laughs) that. I can't cope with two. Um, Have you ever had someone respond
0: like, wow, that's amazing? Um, I do. Often they are people that are one of four boys. So often I find that people will approach me, it might be my husband's friends or someone, and they go, I'm one of four. And they come up and they tell me how good it was and how they had the best childhood and having three brothers is so amazing and how lucky my boys are. And I love those comments.
1: Yeah. Sounds like fun.
0: Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so
1: um, let's be totally honest though, <laughs> because we do, we do love the fact that you've got four boys. But I'm, I'm all for the mothers, right? (laughs) In any scenario, in whatever they have to put up with, I'm here for the mothers. Yeah. So what are the stereotypical things that people think Mm. that are
0: true? Um, They might think it's busy and it is. And the biggest thing I'd say is boys never stop moving. Well, my boys never stop moving, (laughs) Um, but it's kind of like they can't sit normally on a chair in fact, they can't sit on a chair without falling off or straddling it <laughs> or swinging on it. They can't sit on a couch; they have to lie on the back, roll around, stand up, move. Like it is constant movement and feeling out. I now know there is a sensory element that that little boys have, particularly where they're seeking out th- that proprioceptive input. So I understand it. It doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not like can everybody just sit on their chairs, like. Can you just, <laughs> You know, when the fourth person falls off their chair in one meal, I'm like, seriously, guys. just like,
1: I'm going to get a belt and strap you down <laughs> yeah. to your chairs.
0: So I think the movement is, it's, it probably people see that and go, gosh, boys are busy. But when you live with it and it's constant, it can be like, it can grate on you a little bit.
1: I'll <laughs> never forget someone saying to me that boys were like Labrador puppies. And as long as you take them out for a good run and give them lots of water, they'll be fine. <laughs> Do you
0: know what? I? I always say I have three Labradors and one cat cat. and um so three of my sons are like the way a labrador greets you when you come home they were just bound up to you and boys are so big-hearted and so loving and they love their mums so deeply like I think that's the thing again that Maggie Dent taught uh, the whole world about um and certainly taught me about but that's what I really see and then I've got this one cat and he doesn't bound up to you. And to connect with him, you need to come up from the side and you kind of stroke him gently and then you slowly slide him onto your lap. And you've got to be that little bit more careful um, about the way you approach him. And again, it goes to show, yes, there are those sort of stereotypes. And I think boys are a bit like dogs and some of them are like cats. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: right. You can't, you can't tar them all with the same brush, can you? Um, So that you touched on there the point that boys are really big hearted and that they love their mums and that that's something people don't often think about when it comes to boys. What are some of the other things do you think people miss? I think they
0: miss that that boys can look aggressive or they can look uh, like, you know, all the older hero play can look rough. And I think when you dig down at a deeper level, a lot of that hero play that boys do, they want to play with sticks and they want to um, fight bad guys, and generally they love to dress up as heroes. Like I said, I have had a hero in my revision mirror for ten years, and my youngest is six, and I'm really h- struggling to throw out the Batman capes because I loved hanging with Batman. Like I just <laughs> thought that was so cool. But when you dig deeper into what is happening in their psyches, I think it is that they're big-hearted and they really believe in justice. And I think we see that play out with boys. They they're really into fairness. And they're really fiercely loyal and, and that's why they love that hero play. And I think when we really understand the meaning behind it, it's really beautiful and it might not look beautiful, it might look aggressive, but I think it comes from this place of like love and that they want to make the world fair. You know, it's interesting
1: because I have a girlfriend who has a little girl and she's my best friend, love her dearly. And, but my son is obsessed with all violent weapons (laughs) (laughs) and it really upsets her and I can hear it in her voice. She's like, oh, I'm not, I I don't like that. Mm. And I'm like, but you know him, like Mm. he couldn't hurt a fly. But he has. But I see her point. Like he is obsessed with weapons, not just sticks. He loves knives. He loves guns. He loves nunchucks. All of those
0: things. But I wonder if we talk to him about the meaning behind that. It's about fighting the bad guys. Mm. Or
1: then... just fighting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> bad I, guys. I
1: may have a psychopath. You look a psychopath with a good heart. That's my son. No. <laughs> No, (laughs) no, good heart. But it is very, yes. And and the other thing I've noticed about him that I think is a misconception still, which I find amazing that it's still out there, is that boys are tough. Mm -hmm. So even in my house, there's this idea that if he's upset about something, he's not really upset about it. Like Mm -hmm. he's just putting it on or, you know, he's getting overworked about something, but it it's not given the same emotional weight as yeah. what we would give to our daughter, and I think he is a. Especially because he doesn't talk about it. Yeah, his emotional capacity for being hurt or sensitive or mm. feeling something is so deep. Mm. But we still have this perception that little boys are like, oh, everything's cool. Everything's fine.
0: We do. And they have, they're a little bit more limited in their ability to communicate their feelings in words because that bit that can communicate that in an articulate way is behind that of girls. Um, So they show it differently and often they show it a bit physically. So yeah, a boy who's upset might kick the can instead of saying I'm upset because they do show it physically. in that physical way and they do get, you're right, you know, we know in all those studies that were done so long ago that from the minute we find out a baby's gender, we treat that baby differently from birth. So we've said almost non-verbally from such a young age, you know, you shouldn't feel these feelings. Of course, there is a whole generation of parents really trying to do this a little bit differently and do better than the generations before. And I think parents are quite aware of it. They are trying to talk to the boys and girls about feelings. And I work with so many beautiful parents who are trying so hard to sit with their kids in big feelings and and kind of help them. We know that if you can, you know, you've got to name it to tame it. So the more we can help our boys with externalising those feelings and wrapping words around them, the better they will go long term in terms of mental health outcomes. Speaking
1: of the difference between boys and girls, even though we know gender is a construct, (laughs) one thing Maggie does do well at is somehow she always manages to nail the traits that my boy has over my girl. Like she Mm. just gets that quintessential boyness sometimes. Um, And I'm wondering... In your experience, do boys connect differently to girls, and do you even have a sense of that? Given you only have boys, <laughs> yeah. but I'm
0: assuming you have young girls in your life. I do as well. have young girls in my life. I look my and and I work with lots of parents around how their kids connect. I think boys connect more physically. Um, I think they really. Need to know nothing they do could make them unlovable. You know, that's really important, that safety in the way that they connect. Um, and look, all humans are different. So there is that piece as well. But I think uh, for boys, very much they need that physical connection. And again, that's what I learned from Maggie Dent, but, um, you know, just the impact of a, a wink or a fist pump or a high five for a boy and knowing that they need that physical reassurance in terms of the way we connect. Um, I think girls need it too, um, but they are able to take in at a much younger age, a, a more verbal message or a love note, or there's other ways we can connect with girls. Whereas I think for boys, they really need that, that physical showing of love. And it is about delight and it you know, when you talked about the the Labrador earlier, but I often say, you know, if we could greet our kids a bit like the way the dog greets you um, every now and then and show that delight and the impact for boys in showing that delight for them, it makes them feel delightful and when we feel delightful, we go better. Whereas if a boy walks in the room, we're always scowling and criticising his smell or his feet or his shoes. He's not going to feel delightful. He's not going to go well.
1: Yeah, and also once you get over whatever Um, unconscious bias you might have towards expressing these things to boys. When you actually do it
0: and you see how they light up. Yeah. You, You realise it's in there. Incredible. I had one of my sons was so upset recently he could belly function and it took me ages. He's one that uh, it takes a lot of patience to crack the words out of this one because he finds it hard to find the words. And so it's about sometimes with boys going in a bit differently, sometimes you can even play, I heard of a game the other day where they can lie on their stomach and you can say, put your thumbs up if this is right or thumbs down if this is right and you can guess, but taking the pressure off, so they can't don't have to find the exact words. Anyway, he eventually said that he's really tall. And his friends look to him to adjudicate a lot of the fights around handball games. And this one day he said, Mum, I just can't handle the pressure. Aww. Why can't they just get along? I don't understand why these boys are, you know, fighting and, and not always getting along. And I was like, Wow, he's so big hearted. And you know, even just in that sense of adjudicating a handball game, he takes it so seriously and cares so much about his friends so deeply. And, you know, they do feel a lot that they're not necessarily talking about until it gets too much. What challenges are there
1: raising boys?
0: <laughs> okay. I would say the biggest is that boys are slower to learn how to read social cues. So this is playing out from, the, from two onwards. And what that means is that they might go too far. Uh, they might be too rough. They might not listen or look like they're not listening. And a lot of it is that they, in my experience are just, they take a bit longer to learn how to read my cues. So I'll give you an example. My, my mum, once I remember watching her playing with one of my eldest sons and it was going well and then he was taking it too far. We joke, this child, my eldest, we call him one step because he's always one step too (laughs) far. But anyway, this is my child, one step too far. And he um, he was playing this game and he, uh, whatever he was doing, she wasn't liking it. He might have been just taking it too far, hitting her on the head or something. And she was saying, stop, stop, stop. But she was smiling because she didn't want to displease him and she wasn't really communicating it very clearly. And he couldn't read the cues because she wasn't being really absolutely blunt with him. And so I had to say, you need to literally put your hand out and show him, I don't like that. You need to stop because he was still developing that. And so that's something I have spent many years developing in my house (laughs) is reading social cues. So I might be saying, look, I can see you guys are having fun, but I'm looking at Liam's face. He looks a bit worried. Should we check on him? Is he enjoying this? And that's the beginning of teaching consent um, because we want boys to be able to read those social cues. It will stop them from getting into trouble socially at school by making a social mistake and long-term it allows them to see when someone is not having a good time. And that's so important. Um, So it's something I think they need help with, and there's probably not enough information about how to do that. So it's about coaching them from the side and pointing out, oh, look, when you snatched that block, I'm looking at your friend's face, they looked unhappy. And that helps them to go, oh, yeah, I see that. Whereas a girl will innately often see that. She doesn't make as many mistakes with that. And
1: is it also about repetition, because I've, I've had these conversations with experts so many times and I think <laughs> I'm sure I've said that to my son or I've said that to my daughter. I'm sure I've said it more than once. And sometimes you think, what am
0: I Doing wrong. (laughs) But
1: it's about repetition, isn't it? Kids don't always pick things up the first time you explain it to them. No.
0: Yeah. It takes, it does take a lot of repetition. (laughs) I remember one of my um, sort of proudest moments. I was sitting in my office. My kids were on the trampoline just outside my office. I heard the familiar sounds of a game that was going too far. And we all know that sound as a mother. And I was thinking, oh, do I need to intervene? And I listened and I heard the the child that was old one step was going too far again. <laughs> and the other child said, stop, I don't like it, which is something we really work on is being able to communicate that. The child that went too far went, oh, sorry, are you okay? And, no. and I went, oh my God, we're there. <laughs> so I had been, I, I mean, at this time they were, I don't know how old they were, but I reckon I had been narrating scuffles for like five or six years when they did this independently <laughs> over and over. Um, but but I do believe it makes a really big difference for boys.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Remember, repetition is the key. So you've touched on this earlier when you were talking about reading facial cues and, mm. and sort of being the narrator from the sidelines. I'm just wondering if you had anything more to add to that conversation about teaching consent to boys and, sort of, by extension, teaching them compassion, because you need to be compassionate to understand whether someone's consenting or not.
0: Yeah, I think we need to show it to them. And I think, again, as we touched on earlier, We have this idea that boys are maybe less emotional. And so when they have a feeling, we might dismiss them. And then we wonder why they might dismiss someone's feeling when they're older. We haven't taught them how to do it. We know that kids don't learn compassion by us saying, be compassionate, be kind, share, say, thank you. It doesn't work. Literally doesn't work. You're wasting your breath. The way they learn it is we model it. So when they are struggling and being their worst selves and they've just hit their brother, and it, it sounds crazy from the outside, but once you practice it, you can see the difference it makes when you can come in with compassion, as well as absolutely holding a boundary. I'm not going to let you hit your brother again, but my goodness, you must have got so worked up to hit him. Tell me more. And then our child gets that opportunity to feel heard. And we were able to sit with compassion in them in that moment that they didn't feel very lovable because they'd done the wrong thing. And we showed them that love and that compassion and that kindness and then I really believe that that brings out the compassion in that, that man one day because we we showed them, we modelled it. Yeah.
1: With that conversation about consent, which has been a big one since the Me Too movement, mm. it's been a huge conversation around the world. What are your concerns for your boys in this current environment that we're raising them in?
0: Um, I have... So so many, <laughs> so many concerns. Where do we start? How long have we got? How long have we got? <laughs> um. Sometimes I think the way we're talking about boys could be really internalized for them as like everything about men in the past that was bad might be just bad internally about them. And I want to tell you a quick story if I can. I love <laughs> um, your story. Go ahead. So when my second son was about three, we were waiting for an ear, nose and throat appointment and we were in a waiting room and there was a woman there with a 14-year-old boy and girl, there was a bit of some commotion happened and the boy moved away. And then she was saying, oh, that's disgusting. You're disgusting. That's so disgusting. And then she turned to me and she goes, he, he farted. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) And then she said, he's not mine. He's my sister's. I've only got girls. And she goes, you've obviously got a boy. Oh, you poor thing. Boys are disgusting. Right? And it was said in a packed waiting room. And I looked down again at my three-year-old and I thought, how on earth are we in a world where it is okay to call a whole gender disgusting and it's kind of an okay thing to do? And I looked at his little face. I turned back to... This woman, and I said, I'm actually the mother of three boys and I think they're beautiful. I think oh, you're wrong about boys. Here. Um, and I said that for my son because I was very aware that he would internalize a comment that he was disgusting. Um, so sometimes I, I do worry, like I am obviously so big on teaching consent, and it's one of the biggest things we worked on. Our table manners, PS. Are not good because you can't be everything. <laughs> so I'm just telling you my children oh my still God. can't use a fork. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me that they were good too. I'm like, please, no, Jen, it's no. too much. It's too no, much. No, there are many areas and grooming, oh, not a strong point <laughs> because you can't be it all, right? And sometimes I think, oh, God, I'm failing. And then I think, no, because I've worked so hard on communicating our emotions and consent and and sort of the way we talk and the way we treat each other so important and, you know, all kids do need help with that. Um, But yeah, sometimes I do worry with the way, you know, we can talk about boys and men. If they get isolated, then they gravitate towards the Andrew Tate type thing and then they feel, yeah, disenfranchised. And I really surround my boys with lots of really amazing role models, not just their dad, um, but other amazing men who are kind and compassionate and we're so lucky to have in our lives And I just keep trusting that, you know, we can navigate that, but I do get worried. So, yeah. Mm. Well, let's look at the other side. Mm. What are you most proud of? Um, I'm most proud of their simple love. I love, you know, in a way they are simple and they just are, as long as they know they're loved and as long as they're fed, they are so loving They are so loving and I'm proud of that and I'm proud of their loyalty and uh, particularly when something goes wrong, if I have a bad day or I'm unwell, it's incredible how caring they are suddenly. These creatures that sometimes can look like they're not taking everything in and they're not very aware of anyone else's needs and they never pick up their shoes from the back door ever, (laughs) no matter what I say or how much I yell about it. But when things are rough, They are incredible and they're so caring and I think that's something to be proud of.
1: What a beautiful place to end. (laughs) Jen, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank
0: you. That's Jen
1: Muir, mum of four, and educator at Connected Parenting. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feed. Play love at sca.com.au I'd love to hear from you for more great kids and parenting podcasts check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us I'm Siobhan Hunt see you next time